Hey everybody, it's your boy Dr. Mark List here back with another episode of the Primary Care Pod. Uh, before we get on today's uh, guideline update, uh, we wanted to check in as we always do with the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. Uh, please email us any uh, feedback they have for us, any articles that you want me to review, any topics you want me to hit up. Uh, always appreciate the feedback. Uh, on today's inbox, we're getting a joke from an anonymous listener. Uh, hey, Dr. List, I got a joke for you. A patient came to see me and said, Hey, Doc. I think I have ADHD because I keep forgetting where I parked my Ford. I said to him, that's not how ADHD normally works. And the patient said to me, but I keep losing my focus. All right. Ooh, ooh, okay. That, that one makes me groan a little bit. Uh, Bob, let's get us out of here ASAP. Thanks. The Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past, present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Pod girls, pod boys, pod people. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, we're going to hit up a, uh, an episode here uh, of the Primary Care Pod about the newest uh, guideline or, or screening recommendations from the American Cancer Society regarding cervical cancer screening. Uh, literally, this just came out July 30th, 2020. You've probably heard about it by now. Uh, we're going to do a quick run over just in case uh, you haven't read about it. Um, and, and this is uh, their recommendation. Um, when it comes to cervical cancer screening guidelines um, and, and in general cancer screening guidelines, the American Cancer Society is usually a lot more on the aggressive side. Uh, this gets, especially when we came, it comes to breast cancer, uh, they tend to be uh, very very uh, pro finding every cancer that we can. So sometimes I, I, I'm hesitant to uh, thoroughly over endorse their recommendations, but I, this is a really, really good guideline. I think uh, I really, really like this, um, this recommendation um, and, and we'll get into why. Now this comes to us, you can find this, it's uh, online, it's the ACS journal, uh, CA colon, a cancer journal for clinicians. The title is called Cervical Cancer Screening for Individuals at Average Risk, 2020 Guideline Update from the American Cancer Society. So before we get these updates, let's look at what we currently have from USPFTF regarding cervical cancer screening. Uh, USPFTF updated theirs in, in 2018. And the population from the ages of 20 to 29 years old recommend cervical cancer screening every three years with cervical cytology alone. And then women age 30 to 65 years, USPFTF recommends every three years with cervical cytology alone, right, PAP alone, or every five years with co-testing, assuming that you have negative co-testing, right? They have a D recommendation for anybody under the age of 21. Uh, D recommendation uh, recommends against uh, cervical cancer screening women who have had a hysterectomy with removal of the cervix do not have any high-grade precancerous lesions in the past. Okay, so that's what we currently have. So the new update from the American Cancer Society says initiate cervical cancer screening. So you start at age 25 and primary HPV swab at that time every five years through age 65 is the preferred mechanism. Now, there are only two 
primary HPV tests out there uh, that they recommend that are that are recommended alone. So if your organization does not have them, then they talk about the strong recommendation of doing co-testing with HPV and cytology, right? Every five years between 25 and 65, or just cytology alone if you don't have the other alternatives every three years, okay? So that's the new guideline. Start at 25 and not at 21. And that's the that's their recommendation, right? So we we change it up from 25, 21 to 25, okay? We can co-test right away at 25, or we can do straight primary testing by itself, primary HPV testing by itself. Now, why? Because we're seeing the newest generation of higher and higher rates of cervical cancer vaccinations for HPV. So we have now a increasingly vaccinated population. And there's gonna be a lot of other details here that we're going to talk about, because the article itself is really, really, really good in terms of why the protocols have changed. It's really long, so I don't expect you to read it. That's why we're that's why you're here today. Okay. Right. So why why is why are we making this change? Right. So for more than half a century, cytology alone, right? Pap smear testing alone, liquid-based cytology, etc., was really the only screening tool for cervical cancer, right? That was it. And th- then we found out and we've learned more about cervical cancer. We know that persistent infection with high-risk HPV, specifically it, ser- serotype 1618, are the cause of almost all cervical cancers, okay? And there's a period of time between the initial HPV infection and the development of cervical cancer, Okay. And so cervical cancer screening is incredibly infect- is effective at reducing incidence and mortality from cervical cancer. So as long as your patients are getting in and you are, they are, have access to healthcare, right, and they are at an average risk population, the interval between the initial HPV infection and persistent HPV infection causing cervical cancer is quite long, allows for very good cancer screening. So cervical cancer screening, very, very effective type of cancer screening, okay? HPV infections are incredibly common. They're incredibly common in healthy adults. And yet only a small proportion of the infection persists and progresses to precancerous cells in the cervix. Okay. And this takes many, many, many years. And what we know about young women who get HPV or get exposed to HPV or even have precancerous states, right? There is a significant rate in these individuals of regression back to the norm. So I can recall many, many cases uh, in medical school, and I had actually friends, uh, female friends who would talk about this, where they had, you know, irregular pap after irregular pap after irregular pap. Nothing was ever crazy. They had to get a cold or they had to do something, but they never had to go full cryo or leap or anything like that. And yet they had pap after pap after pap, right? And this is even after the yearly pap. Some women were getting them every six months, whatever, you know, back in the rates when we were doing them every single year. And we know that there is regression in some women, okay? And there's a lot of times a lack of progression, right? Especially in younger individuals who have healthy tissue that can help fight off these infections, right? So it is rare, but it does happen that infections cause, you know, cervical intraepithelial neoplasm, that's CIN, right? Um, They're common, but even then they only rarely lead to cervical cancer, okay? So the primary goal is to detect treatable abnormalities and precancers like CIN grade two and three, right? And adenocarcinoma in situ, right? Because that those are the ones that are more likely to progress to invasive cancer. CIN1 or, or ASCUS or, or weird changes that aren't necessarily associated with cancer, a lot less likely to cause harm, okay? 
So by doing this, we can reduce cervical cancer incidence, mortality, and treatment related morbidity, according to this article. Okay, I'm just reading you the highlights. Okay, now, as we know that HPV infection is the primary causal factor for cervical cancer, right? HPV testing now needs to become the first line test for cervical cancer. Okay. If you're in the vaccinated population, your risk obviously becomes dramatically, dramatically, dramatically less. Obviously, we know that all vaccinations are not 100% effective. Uh, we know that um, some people just do not take, as we are finding out with COVID, uh, do not make antibodies to certain vaccinations or certain insults right, to their immune system. And so we do know that HPV testing primary is the gold standard now, is the first line primary recommended because of where our HPV vaccination rates are changing the incidence and changing the likelihood of our knowledge on what's going to prevent cervical cancers. Okay. Cytology can also is acceptable that that hasn't changed. It's still an okay test, but false positives and, and irregularities are common enough that makes it less, less helpful of a screening tool. Okay. So where does this lead us? Well, it leads us into this primary HPV swab, uh, Roche has, so there, there's two that are approved. Okay. Two that are approved for primary screening. Okay. And there's two Roche makes one called Cobas, C-O-B-A-S, right. And that was approved in 2014 for thin prep only, right. For it's a DNA target based amplification, right. For genotypes and it has 16, 18, a bunch of other high risk ones. Okay. And Becton Dickinson in 2018 had one called BD on clarity, right? So if those are two that your organization has that you're using, great. You can do, according to American Cancer Society, it is safe to start at 25 using that only. If you have any of the other ones, and that includes from, I believe they pronounce it Kyagen, Quiagen, Q-U-Q, sorry, Q-I-A-G-E-N, right? The Hybrid Capture 2, the Hologic Servista, or the Gen Probe Aptima, Right. If you have any of those three, which are the only other three uh, HPV tests that are that we're running in the country, if you have any of those three, you're still going to be stuck doing co-testing. But now, instead of just doing cytology alone, 21 through 29, which is what USPFTF has, American Cancer Society says you can just jump straight to co-testing, which I personally like a lot more because I think there's a lot more evidence behind it. I think it gives you a lot more options as well. So uh, this is going to throw a lot of us off off our off our routine because. Um, while I certainly have a lot more of an old man population and old geriatric patient and internal medicine population, I still do. I still do pap smears. And I always have to go look at my algorithm. And that algorithm, though, is really predicated on the USPFTF guideline recommendation. So this is going to throw things off a little bit, but I think you can still use that algorithm to figure out what to do with abnorm- with abnormals. Um, but this is, again, just the initial first screening step. So um, the article goes on. So getting back to my point about, well, why not cytology? Cytology-based screening is much less efficient in vaccinated populations as abnormal cytology disproportionately identifies minor abnormalities resulting from HPV types that are associated with lower cancer risks, right? So not those high-risk ones, 16, 18, but all the other ones that can change the, the cytology of the cervical cells, right? but have a much lower cancer risk. And so cytology then, again, gives you a lot more false positives, give you a lot more low-grade lesions that are going to regress or not turn into cervical cancer. And so those women who continue to be screened only with cytology, with with providers that aren't up to date, you're going to have, you're going to have, um, as you're going to have a, a high prevalence of high-grade cervical cancer abnormalities decline, 
but the false positives increase significantly with cytology alone. So therefore, when we just do, when we, in our populations that have higher vaccine intake, right, HPV high-risk serotype screening alone decreases the rates of false positives while still catching the high-risk the high uh, cervical cancers and, and therefore, again, makes it a better screening to process. So I also find it incredibly interesting. Uh, I find it really interesting, the fact that in the guidelines here in this paper, which again, I don't expect everyone to read because I'm going to give you the highlights here, but they make a very clear point after their recommendations that co-testing or cytology alone testing are acceptable, op- are acceptable options for cervical cancer screening because access to one of the two FDA approved primary HPV testing may be limited in some settings. So again, my clinic, I haven't even checked which one we have. This just came out over the weekend here. Um, I, I don't, I, I didn't ask which, which cervical cancer, which HPV tests our, our lab runs, right? I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know. Okay. And your organization, your clinic, your hospital system, uh, might have one of the other, one of the other ones. You might use a pathology group, um, who uses something else. What I find interesting is the next sentence, which is, as the United States makes the transition to primary HPV testing, the use of co-testing and cytology for cervical cancer screenings will not be included in future guidelines. Let me read that again. As the United States makes the transition to primary HPV testing, the use of both co-testing and cytology for cervical cancer screening will not be included in future guidelines. Again, cytology is inferior to HPV screening by itself, simply because of the high false positives with all those weird cytologic abnormal, cytological abnormalities, which don't mean anything in terms of development for high-risk cancer, right? And yet require us to have more frequent follow-up, more increased testing, uh, CULPs, and more invasive procedures versus just strictly looking at high-risk HPV options by itself, okay? So this is a major change that I know a lot of our partners, look, I still get notes from, I'm not going to name names in my own town, from providers who are still actively ignoring the five-year co-testing things and are still either screening yearly or screening every three years, right? These are outdated practices which are harming patients instead of helping patients, okay? And for your older patients right now using USPFTF that are 30 to 65, that aren't going in the five-year protocols despite negative and normal testing because their provider isn't going with HPV testing. It's just harming patients, unnecessary testing, unnecessary costs. So this is going to be a big change. It's important that we are up to date on this. It's important that we're leading the cause on this because we're going to hurt our patients less. Um, You know, I, I still think we need to be concerned about the percentage of our population that is not HPV protected, right? But again, if you uh, if you don't have the HPV vaccine, you're going to be in a higher risk pool than than uh, than you should be, and that high risk HPV test and then again becomes even more important for you. So um, that's that's pretty much all I I had to say about that. Um, if you look at they've got a really good graph on this website again at age of diagnosis for cervical cancer, okay, and in 20 to 24, right? We don't know for people who are at high risk, right? So immunosuppression high risk. HPV positive, high risk. Okay, so those are different screening populations that that maybe we do start at age 21, right? Maybe we do a more common. These guidelines are just for average risk or lower risk women. Okay, so only one percent of cervical cancers in the United States 
are found in women under the age of 25. Okay, 1%. Actually, it's 0.8% to be precise. Okay, and they make up less than a percent of all cervical cancer mortalities, which are pretty low. I mean, cervical cancer mortality is not zero, but a, a lower segment of cancer deaths, right? And so you are, by, by skipping the 21 to 25, you are probably not hurting anybody. That your, your number needed to screen is incredibly, incredibly high. They don't have it listed here, but it's incredibly high. In the, even in the 25 to 30 range, it's only 4% of cervical cancer screens, uh, cervical cancer diagnoses are made in that age range. So not zero, but it's low. Um, and 2% mortality at that age, right? So again, I think that, I think that this is something that we can feel very safe um, at kind of what we are doing in terms of changing these guidelines. I feel like, I feel like the mortality is low enough and I feel like this, this change is going to be positive given the fact that we're still going to find the high-risk people and we're going to decrease the rates of false positive cytology screens. So um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you like this? Uh, I think it's a good change overall. I think it's very positive. I think it's very clear and uniform. I can't wait for USPFTF to get on board so I can also you know double recommend it. But I think these are overall really good changes from the American Cancer Society. If your organization still stays with the um, the old rules, the USPFTF rules, until they change, I think that's fair. I think, though, that if you want to be uh, want to change your practice, I think that this is something that I think is going to be the future. Um, you, American Cancer is very, very clear that they think cytology and co-testing with cytology will go away at some point. And so, again, I think this is the future. I think the sooner we adopt this, the better our practices will be, um, the fewer the fewer false positives we're going to have. So overall, I think it's a net positive change for cervical cancer screening, um, which is, again, one of the best, which is one of the best cancer screening processes I think that we have. So um, let me know what you think. Let me know uh, at primarycarepod at gmail.com. Um, and again, this has been Dr. Mark List. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Uh, remember, you don't have to stay up tonight. Uh, you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, thanks and have a great week.